morning. Let's begin. Are you familiar with the um, uh, literary device? Are you familiar with the literary device, um, Deuce Ag Machia? Anybody know this device? Well, it means God out of a machine. And it was deployed in uh, literature, especially in stage acting, uh, back hundreds, hundreds of years ago that if the plot narrative or something was going on in the narrative and they couldn't maybe rescue the protagonist, they would use this um, Dusek Machia and they would bring this device down inside of the, uh, the stage to present a god that would rescue the protagonist out of their struggle. And um, I was reading this morning and last night that a lot of um, people didn't like this. Uh, people who wrote, has, has written for stage acting or narrative or uh, written for plays. They didn't like and would say that if the plot was bad or the narrative was bad, that we shouldn't just have a God that comes and rescues the protagonist out of the middle of their uh, struggle. And yet, I think if we were really, maybe if we really got down to what's going on with us, we the church, uh, that we're looking for God to come down. And that the Lord has created something even within our narrative structure of our life and uh, where he would come and rescue uh, his people and deliver his people. Well, that's just the church looking for, uh, like Stephen and I was talking this morning, they're just looking for an escape path. But, you know, if we truly were truthful about what's happening with us here and it, this began to happen last week. It happens in that when we did X2M90 on Abraham and Sarah, the Trinity uh, shows up to their house. The triune Godhead comes because um, they've been invited and a place has been made for the Godhead to come and be among his people. There's an invitation for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost to actually come and be among his people and remember in Ezekiel that he'll slowly lead the people remember there was four points of his departure from the temple back in 2008 when this ministry began the Lord said to me he says go prepare a people for me because I'm going to come and be among my people me me, myself, and I, all three, I want to be back among my people again. But I need to prepare a people so that I can come to them 
And I would say, like, Lord, please come to us. And he said, if I come to you like you're asking me to, son, it'll kill you. Because uh, your nature is so opposed to my nature that I can't even come. Not because I don't want to. Because you're so not like me that you would run away from me if I even come near or it would kill you. And he says, but I can prepare a people for me. And I, I really... I invite, and, and, I, and I believe that's why we're here, invite the God in three persons to be with us. That he would hear, like out of the heavens even now, and say, they want me. They don't want some kind of power demonstration just to rescue them out of something. They want him, we want him, we want you for yourself that you may be glorified. You see the difference? But that's run off so many people because, see, love doesn't ever, how does love, love doesn't love because of what you get out of it. Love loves because it just gives of oneself without any, any requirement, any kind of imposition, any kind of being even known by the, by the one you love. Love is so beyond and that's who his very attribute is. And so he's been uh, refining us. Many of us have been crushed. We've been through dark nights and difficult places. So that love would become everything. So that we would worship him for who he is. Irregardless of what he does for us. And yet he's this great redeemer. And he loves us. But may God be glorified for his own sake. Not because of what he does for us, but because he's deserving of the glory. He deserves the glory and the praise irregardless of what his redemption plan is for us. See, he's his own. And this pleases him to love him for himself. And we know that we want to be loved for our own sake as well. How much more would the uncreated God want to be loved for his own sake. This is the fundamental basis of true Christian worship. That God would be loved for his own sake. Regardless of what he does for us. And yet we know that he saved us when we were undeserving. See, this is the greatness of what brings and invites the triune Godhead into this uh, pavilion. Worship for his sake, his own sake alone. Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky displays your handiwork. Day after day it speaks out. Night after night it reveals your greatness, O Lord. There's no actual speech or word. Nor is it the voice that's literally heard. Yet its voice echoes throughout the earth. Its words carry to the distant horizon. And in the sky, even right now, you pitched a tent for the sun. And like a bridegroom, it emerges from its chamber. Like a strong man, it enjoys running its course. Emerge, O oh Lord. He 
you've been taking the machine out of us to put yourself in us. Emerge from your bridegroom chamber, Lord, and come down. You're the strong man running your course, oh God. Nothing can escape your presence, the fiery presence of your Holy Spirit. We proclaim that your law is perfect in every way and that you're the one who brings preservation to our life. Your rules set down are reliable, Lord. And I'm not offended with you, Lord. You impart wisdom, Lord. I say this morning that your precepts, the commands that you put in me, they are right and that they are fair. And you make me joyful. And my cup overflows. The Lord's commands are pure. And you give insight for life. The commands to fear the Lord are right and they are just and they endure forever. Your everlasting Lord. The judgments given by you, Lord, are trustworthy. And they're absolutely just. They're greater value than gold. And great value more than even pure refined gold. They bring greater delight than honey. And even the sweetest honey from the honeycomb. Find my guidance there. Those who obey him receive a rich reward. Would you stand with me? desperately wicked who could even know it please don't punish me for sins I'm unaware of moreover keep me from committing flagrant sin help me now to turn my heart to you Lord the glory of God who thunders to this then I will declare that I am blameless in your sight I've been pardoned from every sin every venial sin everything right now you've exonerated me Lord yes I am pardoned the internal wrestling of my guilt my shame has been pardoned because of what you have done at the cross of Calvary. It's done. It's finished. You've taken out my you've taken out my blatant rebellion out of my heart, Lord. 
May my words and my thoughts this morning, Lord, be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you're my sheltering rock, and you're my redeemer. Take us up in the spirit, Lord, up to a rock that is higher than I. Up, up, up into the heavens, into the rock. You're the rock of my salvation, Lord. You're my hope, Lord. Worship the Lord with me. All you saints, worship the Lord. Give honor to the one. Give him what he's due.
to his name to the heavens above with your praise lift his name come on to the heavens above with your praise lift his name lift his name to the heavens above your praise and it's all because of him he carried the way he carried the way he lived his name Malachi chapter 3 verse 13 he says you've criticized me sharply says the Lord but you may ask how have we criticized you you've said it is useless to serve God have we been helped by keeping his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord who rules over all? The Lord just, please tell me, I just want to deal with this this morning. It's possible a lot of times for us to put on a good face, but deep down inside, maybe something else is going on. And the Lord just wants to come into this place this morning. I don't know who this is speaking to, but. And it's okay right now. It's okay. Because we have to do this. He wants to do this. The Lord wants to. And I want to honor him in it. You know, it's like, you want to do this now, Lord? He's like, yeah, I want to do this now. I want to go down deep and deal with some stuff this morning. Right now, Lord, you know how this is in family sometimes when you got to have that come to Jesus meeting? <laughs> Anybody else had to do this in your family? When things began to just kind of shake down and you realize something's off and we got to have a talk. And the Lord needs to have a talk with us. He keeps telling me, I got to have a talk with you for a minute. It's this idea that I like how Malachi, the heading of this is resistance to the Lord through self-sufficiency. I got this thing. We'll make it happen. We'll keep uh, mustering up the strength. You know, I haven't done enough. I wish I could do more. I, 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 I self-sufficiency the gospel is drilling down into us the gospel that Jesus 
proclaims who he is, is coming down to us in such a profound way, wanting to extract out all the self-sufficiency of men, the thing that broke us in the garden. I want out your self-sufficiency, what you can bring to the table, what you can bring to the plate, or what you can't bring to the table, or what you can't bring to the plate. I want to deal with it this morning. I want to deal with it. I want to deal with your self-sufficiency. What good has it done us to serve the Lord? And well, maybe we wouldn't say that out loud, but it may be flowing in the background of our thinking. I'm not wanting to put this on anyone. I know that this thought has permeated my own consciousness personally. I don't know if it is this morning or not. I mean, who can know a person's heart? But I know he says to me, let's deal with this today. Let's get it out in the open. I've been going around keeping your requirements, Lord. I've been mourning. I've been mourning. Does it, has it done me any good to mourn for the one who rules over all? Has it done me any good? Why are the arrogant so happy? Why do they seem to be faring better? Why does things seem to be sometimes in more order for them than the chaos that you might be experiencing in your own life? In fact, he says, even worse, that those who even challenge you seem to get by with it, they escape. Why do we keep coming to you? Why do I keep worshiping you? Why do I keep this up? And that question has permeated so many people, especially if you've went long seasons in your trust for the Lord. someone else and they're just contradicting God and you're sitting there and you just gave your whole self to him <laughs> seem like they're doing better off than you we can put on a good face a lot of times but sometimes these things apparently this stuff goes on in the background of our own thoughts we go to bed with it at night and we think it during the day This is God when he comes near in love. Remember when we started out. True love loves the lover. True love loves without any expectation of anything in return. The Lord draws us out like this and he allows our motivations to be seen. And, and then maybe we don't like ourselves in it because we realize our motives were impure. And it makes us want to push away the lover, the lover of our soul. And he's coming near. We want him, but he's exposing everything that's hindering love. 
see you. And he wants to get down to the very deep ideas and the concepts that sit inside of us. And he wants us to just face it. He'll even say this to us, sacrifice an offering I don't even desire. It's your body I want. I want you. I want you for you. And who has known this kind of love? The love of the Godhead. It just wants us for us. then comes the complaint yeah and we push him away why because he's got to come at our self-sufficiency because love in its basis understanding is not self-sufficient true love is not works oriented there's this transition of the heart a deep God deal with this in me deal with my fallen nature you can have it I'm trying to bring you to rest I want you in Shabbat I want you to rest in me and rest in me knowing that I got you I'm going to take care of you I'm going to fulfill your deepest longings I'm going to do it for you and now he comes near and more near and it feels almost blank who are you God why are you drying out all my stuff? St. John of the Cross says if God's light was to shine on, on us, it would be like the sun shining into the eye. And it creates a space of darkness that we would want to run from him. But God is more near in those moments than he's ever been. And God is near right now. greatest moments I've ever experienced with God is when the vacancy comes. I don't even feel anything. He's taught me I'm more near to you, son, than I've ever been in the vacancy. And the uh, coming near where I can't do anything about it, I can't make it happen, I can't resolve my problem. Yeah, I can't fix it. It seems like stuff's wrong all around me. Just let me come near. Let me come in. Let me come in. Let my love come down into your self-sufficiency. You were made to be sufficient by me. Deeper, deeper, deeper we go in. Deeper into the words and the language of the text. Deeper into our subconscious. Deeper into our mindsets. Deeper in the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about others. I'm your sufficiency, says the Lord. As many as will receive me, I give them the right to be called the sons of God. So I go into receptivity mode because I have nowhere else to go. And the drying out and the vacancy of the hardship and the thing that seemed how far will you go Lord how far down into the depths of my soul will you climb until you look like me somewhere down deep into the blank slate into the blank space 
finds us. Lord, take all my self-sufficiency. Give me Shabbat. Give me rest. I'll give you rest for your soul and take my yoke upon you. And my burden is light. And my soul says, yes, Lord. I don't want to go anywhere else. To whom else will I go but to you, Lord? I've ran and I've run and I've willed and I've tried. I've made every effort and every movement of the heart for you. And nothing will satisfy me like you do. My satisfaction is in you, Lord. I was made for you, Lord. I was created for you, Lord. I'm yours, Lord. And in that place my soul sings in rapturous glory. you more than my own life. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. I need a theophany, Lord. one another 
And the Lord took notice. A scroll was prepared before him in which were recorded the names of those who respected the Lord and honored his name. They belong to me. Says the Lord that rules over all. Yes, yes. I belong to you. I was made for you. I was made for none other but you. I was created for you. See it? Another one, nothing would ever satisfy us. I was created for you. I was made for you. made for you. It's created for you. My life has a narrative that you created and designed and I receive it. You have the great meta-narrative of my life and you know it. And, I, and he says, you're my special ones. You're my property. You're mine. Spare you as a man spares his only son. And then you will see, listen, you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between the one who serves God and the one who does not.
God was pleased to have the fullness of the Godhead dwell in the Son. Colossians 1, 19. Right now, he seeks a place of permanency to dwell. Holy Ghost. I want a place to dwell permanently. I want permanence with you. I'm beginning to dwell, but I want a permanent place to house myself in you. What you're experiencing bringing you into Shabbat, the seventh day, it's a place of rest where all the deconstruction has been going on in your life to throw off all the things that hinder love, to let go of the self-sufficiency you want. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit wants a place a permanent dwelling. No more being cast out, no more being grieved. Flowing like the wind, we take a deep breath of God. And we breathe in the Ruach of the Godhead. You got me, Lord, you got me, you got me, Lord. I'm no longer self-sufficient. Yeah, he comes. Deconstructing us. Taking off all the layers. Layer after layer after layer of self-protection. And back to a place of complete. Complete, complete, complete. Vulnerability before him.
2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yes, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in the way of remembering, knowing that shortly, shortly I'm going to put off this tabernacle. Even as the Lord Jesus Christ has revealed this to me, I will endeavor that you may also, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. We have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have become eyewitnesses of the majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son. I am well pleased. And this voice which came down from heaven we heard. And when we were with him in the holy mount, the transfiguration. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. He's saying that we're going to make the prophetic word even more uh, sure. You do well if you take heed. As a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns. And the morning star rises in your hearts. That there is no prophetic word or utterance that can be given that is of any private interpretation. For this prophetic word does not come by the will of man, but by holy men of God who speak. Uh, as they're moved by the Holy Ghost. Lord, take us up into your word this morning. And take us. Into that which is authorized by you. And by your Holy Spirit. And let nothing be said that isn't. But only what is said by you. And let it be so. Because... It is written. Amen. Uh, Peter speaking here to to us this morning, and he desired so and so much and longed for that we would be established in what is actually true the truth, uh, the man Jesus Christ, and that as long as he was in his tabernacle, speaking of his flesh, that he would, because he had, he knew what the Lord had said to him, that you're going to, you're going to go away that you do not want to go. If you think about that guy, 
I mean, we might today call him a dude, right? We might call him a man's man. I think Jesus saw his propensity, uh, Peter's propensity. I think a lot of us can't appreciate the kind of man he was, that he was willing to do whatever it took. And, you know, he's going to go out on the edge. You know, you see him coming out onto the water. Lord, bid me come. If it be you, bid me come, this, this guy. And he's going to be compelled to go into a place that he, even his own will would not want to go. That, you know, they're going to hang him upside down on a cross. And he's saying, I know that. I know, I know my day is marked. I'm going to die. And before I do, I really, I really need something. I need to get something across to the church. I need y'all to hear me say something. A lot of times this happens on deathbeds themselves. Sometimes things are written and they're not said and we hear about them posthumously. But in Peter's case, we get to hear what he would want to say and the idea that he's going to die. And if a man of Peter's caliber has been right there with the Lord at Transfiguration, he's seen the Lord, he's walked with the Lord. What he's saying here is very important. I don't know if some of you, if you've had your own father pass away and you've been on the bed, his, his last will and testament, the things that he says, they'll stay with you for the rest of your life. Peter gets the opportunity to say what he wants to say here again. And so maybe we should pay attention, deeply pay attention to the text. He says, I'm not and I have not been using trickery or deceit in what I'm saying. Peter doesn't even have to say that. But he, he's making sure, you know, that, listen, I'm not, I'm not um, mincing words here with you guys. I'm not trying to manipulate you. And I'm not trying to impose my will on you in the least bit. I'm not trying to and I don't want to. I'm not picking some kind of uh, course of action to get you to believe me. I'm not even being motivated maybe for how so many people are motivated. I, I think that Peter truly has, has the heart of the Father. He's not a patronizer. He's a true patron. You know the difference? You know what a patronizer is? Someone always has some kind of under ulterior motive in the way that they're speaking to you or saying something to you. They're gaming for you for something. And Peter's saying, I'm not gaming you. I'm not manipulating you. I'm not controlling you. I've, I've not picked some kind of trick to master something over you. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm, I am an eyewitness to this man, the man Jesus Christ. I have witnessed him with my own eyes. I have, I have seen him transfigured in front of my face. I have looked at the man in his transfiguration. And when I did, and we know in Matthew 17 what happens to him. And James and John, they fall flat down on their face. I've seen the transfiguration. I've seen Jesus, so to speak, take his um, shirt back and light shine. I have seen the Superman. Superman. 
you know. I've seen him with my own eyes, and I've, I've beheld the guy that all of you think is, and you perceive him as a carpenter from Nazareth, the, the guy that was among us out of Nazareth is going around Galilee. I watched that guy transform right in front of me. I have seen his glory, and I'm telling you, he is the majestic one. I have seen the theophany of God. He has appeared, even in his human form, he has revealed his He's revealed himself to me. I mean, you kind of, how do you put yourself in that context today? It's like, you know, someone said, I, I saw Clark, Clark Kent. You know, the guy that's down there is doing the journalism. He's Superman. Yeah, right. Or Steven. Me and him, you know, we're real friends. One day he showed me. He really is Superman. He comes from Jor-El. That's Cal-El. Everybody in here right now, you're thinking. Carol's playing around when he's trying to give us an illustration. Do you see what I mean? Stephen's not Superman. We all know that. He's just illustrating a point. Peter's not illustrating a point. He's not using an illustration here. He's speaking reality. That's why he's saying this. I saw the guy that was going around and building y'all furniture, and I saw that guy. He's superior and infinite in every way. I've been hanging out with him. He's a human who is God. Christos, or Jesus Christ, Christos, is not a surname. Like uh, Jeff Manning. Manning is his surname. Jesus' last name is not Christ. Christos is a, it's a profile. Technically, theologians call this Christology. Jesus has a, let's call it a blueprint on his soul that is completely God. He's a human. He's fully God. I saw him. He opened up his soul and showed me his, that he's Christos, his Christology. He showed me the whole map and it's shining bright light. It's radiating knocked us all flat on our face. He's fully God. He's fully man. I um, don't think that anyone of us in here really have a problem with that. Do you know where the rub is? Do you know where the real rub is? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, see, that's the real rub. That's the rub. Stephen is Superman. <laughs> Jesus didn't just come to, just to die for sinners. Jesus came to give his whole messianic profile to you. 
Jesus came to fully, completely upgrade you and put you and give you the profile that's sitting on him to put that same profile back in you. It's where Christology and anthropology become one, divine and human. So the, again, the rub isn't so much that we don't believe that he is fully God and fully man. Maybe we do, but maybe we believe it intellectually. Many of us have believed it by the intellect. And we've somehow set Jesus as a superhuman that's sitting over there that we'll never be like. How could we? And so what happens to a lot of believers is like, well, i got to get on in my humanity. Because I just got what I got. It's that phrase in our house, you know. You get what you get and you don't get upset. <laughs> Kara said that to the kids. You get what you get and you don't get upset. It's in a book. She doesn't want to be authorized on this. These fables. Connolly devised fables. No. Well, how, how about us? What if we said that the Godhead had ordained that you get all of Jesus, his whole Christological pattern laid into your human consciousness, and then we've been upset. And yet he wanted to give us all things. Everything is yours. All things are yours. See, this is the gospel of the kingdom. <laughs> Your salvation was not just, I was saved, da-da-da-da, but I wanted to give you all of me. I wanted to give you the exact same pattern or blueprint that was sitting on me. I want to put it on you. The only thing I need from you is trust. Trust for transfer. Now you've heard me call this Christology Tevatron. Because he gave me this word. You say, I don't know what that means. You, I don't know what that means. What does that mean, Carol? And I was like, what does that mean, Lord? Teva means anything that's not made with human hands. It's a Hebrew word. Do you hear that? You who are strong in the word in Hebrews, you can hear it in the text, right? I can't dwell in what? Anything what? I can't dwell in anything made with what? So I want a teva. So God has to decide or determine. This is where the trust comes in. If God wants to bring his messianic profile into you and integrate your subconscious, your soul with his whole blueprint, he has to decide how to do it. Because no man or woman can do that for themselves. No one. No one. You, you're not going to get this at a therapist. You're not going to get this uh, at a psychologist. No one can give you this. No one. So the Lord set up this divine human interchange. Faith is the title deed hoped for. It's the objective proof of an unseen reality. He set up this transaction with you and I to give us all things in Christ. Pete is speaking of this. I saw glorified man in a human. I saw 
his Christology in an anthropological man. I saw Tevatron. Tron. If you look up Tron in the dictionary, there's three aspects of Tron. There's positron, there's cyclotron, and there's ignatron. And I was looking at this, and I like particle physics a little bit. I'm not saying I got it. I'm not a particle physicist. But I was looking at it, and I was like, positron. He's like, right, it starts with me. I'm the father. Cyclotron, the sun. Ignatron, not ignorant by no means, but igniting fire. I said, oh, Tron. He said, right, Tevatron. I said, oh, we need a, for Tevatron, for a Christological for this to be mapped onto the soul, yes, it takes me in three persons. Uh, you'll notice this morning we obeyed the Lord. We came out here. We uh, uh, obeyed the Father. We did what he said. We've done what you said, Father. And if you'll notice, the function of Jesus is to deal with our self-sufficiency. And the Lord's digging deep into self-sufficiency, is he not? Works-based righteousness. Your righteousness must exceed that of the what? He has to get out all the self-sufficiency. This is what Jesus is, is doing with us. And so you'll hear that gospel preached and, oh, oh, I can do it. I can. I will. I can, I'll take care of it. No, no, no. You better stop that. That's not the gospel. Right? And I don't know if you noticed, but that wind, sweet maternal nature of the Godhead, Holy Spirit, begins to blow. We need Tron, we need Teva. And what you're doing is, in effect, is you're submitting yourself to his predetermination in your life. Do you have a free will? Yes. For freedom, Christ came to set you free. Christ now should maybe have a different idea to you. Your freedom is wrapped up in this Tevatron. That God predetermined your life before time began and has predestined you and elected you for himself. Teva means, again, you're not the determiner or the arbiter. To the point that you are, you are not free. And what our trouble has been is we had thought that we were free if we chose. But what is happening to you in Teva is you're basically saying, you choose, you decide. I'll take your will over mine. And what's happening with that is layer after layer of, of the subconscious is coming off. So God can take it off of you and give you freedom. And you've been in an experience like this because to the point that you say, God, you decide my life. For you created me. It's at the point that he can come and dwell with you because he can only dwell in a temple made with his own hands. And this is the zero of the gospel, Philippians 2. That you've heard me preach. And he emptied himself. And he did not grasp for power. You see? And in that way is the divine human interchange. And I... I believe I can demonstrate this in the text that what the apostles were saying was that if you want to take on the divine nature and be partakers of it, you must go to zero and let all your self-sufficiency be removed. 
And the church needs to be moved into complete vacancy and utterly inept and cannot do anything for themselves because he's a Jesus that saves sinners. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring you to the end of yourself and to give you his self, his own self. And there is an order to this. It's called the Melchizedek order. God has an order. You want the divine human interchange? Go zero. You're not going to reform your own character. I don't care how hard you try. You will not be able to reform your nature. You're incapable of it. You can't get it right. You can't analyze it enough. You can't uh, set up all these parameters. So whatever, it will not work. Stop trying it. You cannot fix yourself. You are incapable of repairing yourself. You cannot do it. Stop trying to and throw yourselves into the arms of grace because you've been elected according to grace. Romans chapter 11. Stop thinking if I could get this right, I'll finally be okay. Stop. This I is the problem. This is set in the ego. Let the Lord bring you to nothing. Because out of, the, out of nothing comes the very best of some, something comes out of nothing. For Jesus said, I do nothing. I do, my doing is nothing. Oh, man, you want to talk about everything in hell coming against you. And certain family members. And yourself. <laughs> I'm doing nothing. I'm doing nothing. You lazy bum. You'll never amount to anything. You're doing nothing. I'm waiting on him. I'll wait on him until he moves. And then when I see him moving, I'll move with him. Because I will have Teva. I'm tired of making something with my own hands. Uh, I've worshipped wood, hay, and stubble, and idols, and uh, become an adulterer in my own human heart. I'm sick of it. I'll take God or I'll take nothing. And if I'll come to nothing, I'll have God. Then Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christology now is in our anthropology from the head to the toe. He's excellent in glory and honor. See, Peter's giving him reference to, he's referencing, well, maybe he's not, but I'm seeing this reference in uh, Psalms 8. What is man that you're mindful of him? Well, you've crowned him with glory and honor. He's saying he's the crown. He's the crown king. He's the, he's crowned on his head with glory and honor. There's no other greater than this one. I'm, I'm not playing around with you guys. I'm telling you, there's not one man greater than this man. This man is quintessential man. You want to sign up for his thing. Your comfort and pleasure deal has not been working for you, has it? It never satisfies you. You're, you get something new and it's fine. You like it. And then, wow. Well, Back to I need something else. You were made for him. You were made for him to be integrated onto your human consciousness and your soul. And I want you to know the greatest reality is that he's beloved. My mother said to me, she said, well, last week, what did you get out of the sermon? She said, I'm loved. I said, did you hear what I was reading, though? I said that love is fundamental, but you're also accepted, you know. Oh, I can only deal with I'm loved right now. <laughs> he loves me. 
he loves me, she said, and he loves me. I said, you know what? That's fine. Because the first thing that God says about his own son is he's beloved. But he's not just beloved, he's accepted. That's the real rub. Mike Mason said it in last week's sermon. I read it. The real issue is acceptance. Many of us have come to know the love of God. Some of us are still wounded in the love of God. We don't know if he loves us. But the real rub comes in that we're accepted in the Son. He says, I'm accepted. He says, I'm well pleased with him. The Lord may may love your person but not accept your position. Honestly, I think he loved Saul, but he didn't accept him as a king. You know, you can differ if you want to. I believe that there's many persons that he loves, but it doesn't necessarily mean he accepts the position that they take. Uh, If you've been a dad or a mother, you understand this. Or a grandparent. A little bit more accepting than the parents are sometimes. (laughs) Because you can send them back home. Oh, sugar no. God may, may love your person, have a, an issue with your position. You might not like the position we take up in certain ways. And I, I will tell you, there's two positions he does not like. Evil and good. He doesn't want you eating from that tree. He does not like it. And he does not actually accept it. He doesn't. And the day that you eat of it, you will surely what? God's plan is to take us into immortality. He didn't want us to die. He didn't want us to be the byproduct of death. For sin brings death, right? That's not God's design for us. He wants us to place, put on immortality. And so he demonstrates immortality in front of his three. I don't want you to die. I need you to come out of agreement with accepting a a position of the position of self-righteousness, what we call good. Legalism and liberalism. I want you to come out of agreement with both of them. I want you to be thrust into me, the tree of life. I want you to eat from that tree. I want you to come and eat of me. And we're all going through the shakedown on where we place our trust. (laughs) That's the self-sufficiency. This man is excellent in glory. I don't think we can fully understand this. Nobody can. Everything around us has some point of rust or corrosion or we can't fathom the infinite glory of the Godhead. Unless he comes, we will not know. Unless he shows up, we wouldn't know what to differentiate him with. We'd just be on our AI machines. We're looking for something artificial to give us intelligence. We're looking for some kind of, instead of transfiguration, transgenderism. We're looking for some transhumanism instead of transfiguration. We're looking for some kind of uh, upgrade. We're going all through, 
if I could just find this thing, if I could just find the silver bullet of my life, I'm looking, 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 and he's always there. It takes humility because God resists pride. God resists pride. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What is humility? Complete dependence. Humility is not a disposition of, I'll never amount to anything. I'm worse than a reprobate. I'm a worm and not a man. You know, that is not humility. <laughs> Y'all have heard me say this before, but a pastor got up and said, I'm a worm and not a man. He goes home, his wife said, you're a worm and not a man. He, he was repenting on the stage, but he got home. He says, how dare you talk to me like that? <laughs> I thought you said you're a worm and not a man. <laughs> you know, the rubber meets the road at home. <laughs> It meets it in the family life. Oh, it'll really, everything shows up in the family. <laughs> everything. <laughs> it all shows up there. You know, I heard this voice out of the heaven, God's voice coming down out of the holy mountain. He says, uh, and I have this more sure word of prophecy. I've become more sure. And you guys should pay attention to what I'm saying. He says, take heed. You should. Some people don't like it when people talk to them like that. You should do this and you should do that. Well, who are you to say? Who are you to tell me what to do or what I should do? I mean, that's like a lot of the first response from the you should. Yeah, I think you should do that. Drew last night told Leander that he basically shouldn't uh, walk on the Legos because he might break them. My son's first response was, you're not in charge of me. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with him. I was like, is this a pecking order issue in the family? You know, <laughs> Drew's coming in, uh, likes his sister. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, what are we going to do with this? And Leander, he's seven. What are you doing coming into my house? You should. You don't tell me what to do. Yeah, he probably will. <laughs> hey, you should pay attention to this sure word. I'm not playing games. I've been through something with the Lord. I've seen him. Hey, take heed to what I'm saying. Oh, you don't like my command voice? In the mil I'm military trained, and so they get this thing out of you, uh, the rebellion. Well, mostly. <laughs> I went through two base. I went through dad. And then two basic trainings, and now through Kara. <laughs> a whole entire new training ground. I would take military training any day. I think you should. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Deep down in the human heart, no one's going to tell me what to do. Listen, uh, Peter's not playing around even with his language. It seems kind of maybe uh, pushing out into our face and saying, hey, yeah, you should uh, pick up that. Don't walk on the Legos. You're going to break them. Thankfully, we can throw them away. No, I'll just say, if he breaks them, I could throw another Lego away so I don't step on it at night. Oh, y'all ever stepped on Legos? Oh, in the dark? Yeah. I'm still wounded from that. Now, whatever you, you do, take heed. There's a light shining in a dark place. Three things he's saying here. A light is shining in darkness. A few years ago, 
I spent about, it took like four years. We were in an MZ Hop meeting at the fire department. I turn around, and there's the Lord. And uh, you don't have to believe me. It's subjective. I, I just throw that out there. You don't have to believe anything I say. If it doesn't line up with the word, you don't have to believe me. Okay. But I'm just saying, I saw, saw him. And he comes up to me, and he has this candle or something like a light in his hand. And he looks at me, smiles real big, and says, come with me. And he's in like a dark cave. And we're apparently going to go through this mountain. That was four years of uh, darkness. You can ask Kara. It's really, it's been, it's really hard on us. Some days we just stare at walls for two to three hours. Like, never hurt so much in my life. I really didn't come out of it until maybe uh, about midway through Collider downtown. I started seeing something. But earlier than that, about a year before that, you know, you learned to worship. And I was like pressing in at our house. And I was looking, and all of a sudden. This little, well, I found out it was a pixel. Just one pixel of light comes out of the darkness and it hits me. And I mean, I am blasted. And the Lord said, you now have your one pixel ministry. <laughs> I was like, it's not even 720 or 1080p. It's just one P. But as Tom McManus said, give P a chance. <laughs> He said that in a prayer meeting this week. I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. What is the song from the Beatles? What is it, Tom? Give peace a chance. But Tom said, give P a chance. <laughs> give one pixel a chance. I mean, I would take just a little pixel of light and the darkness that was all around it hits me. I was like, <gasps> you know. <sighs> a few weeks later, my brother-in-law, he comes up and he has um. A black shirt on from Verizon that says three pixel. I was like, he said, you got an upgrade. And I, I found that Moses said this. He said, I want to run into the darkness where God is. Uh, Solomon talked about God being clothed in like a cloud. Uh, James will talk about it, that he's inapproachable light. That the Godhead is light. And there's so much of what, when God comes in the glory cloud, uh, Jeff mentioned the glory cloud beginning to descend on us last week. When the glory cloud comes, it comes in this clothed in a darkness, but in the middle of it is this radiation of light and fire. He says, this is a light that shines in a dark place. Run, you know. My soul feels dark. I'm feeling that vacancy. You know, we talked about in worship. I'm going through something. He said, run into the light. Where, run into the darkness because in, if you'll keep going, if you'll keep saying yes, light is going to become uh, prevalent into your consciousness and begin to radiate out and radiate in and radiate out of you. He's the radiance of the glory, Hebrews 1 says. He radiates light. Why is Peter saying this? Is he saying it just because Jesus radiates light? No, look where he's put the subject matter into. Wait for the day to dawn. There's an until here. Reminds me of uh, uh, Ephesians 4. It says... He gave apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and teacher, right? We've all heard of this, right? But what about this? Have you heard this preached a lot? For the perfecting of the saint. For the work of the ministry. 
for the edifying of the body of Christ. Listen, until. Wait a minute. Man, until. Hey, we need to preach until. Okay, yeah, that's all good. You know, I'm not against the uh, fivefold ministry at all. Actually, might be in one of them. Okay, so what? This isn't about trying to get into a ministry position. Actually, it doesn't seem to be that just the focus here was on equipping. He says, until we come to the unity of the faith. Ooh, yeah. We've been talking about ministry and leadership way too much. We've been talking about some of the net results of that. But what is the primary motive behind this text? Until we all come to unity. We become one. And in faith. Have you ever seen anything like that in the church yet? Oh, this is coming. Because the transfiguration is upon us. The glorification is coming. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. What do you think I'm preaching? Christology in an anthropological body, right? Unto what? A perfect man unto the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's a full measure. Hey, why would, uh, why would Paul put that in there if it's not true? Hey, why would we just take, uh, okay, we, uh, we're just going to go for Christian unity. All right. We've not had a lot of that. I want the knowledge of the fullness of the Son of God installed in you. I want, this is the Lord speaking to me now. I want the full stature inside of my people. I don't want any more preaching of some subset of telling everybody how to get in a leadership position or at fivefold ministry. Somehow you're uh, gaming for fivefold ministry. It's even become its own idolatry. They made an idol out of ministry. And the Lord's saying, go for something more. Go for the fullness of the stature of Christ. I want fullness of stature. I, I want my Christological pattern, my blueprint, my Tevatron installed on the soul of my people. I want to be fully dwelling in them and them in me. I don't want any more contradiction. I want full union. I want full connection. And I've created a pattern for it to be so. So, hey, let's set the bar where it is. At quintessential man who is God. Don't make another person your objective. Make him your full objective. You see, don't, don't do this to the preacher. Don't do this to the musician. Don't do this to another person. Never make another person your objective. Make himself your objective to be known and to know himself. God didn't raise up the preaching and singing of the word for people to worship us. No, no, no. God forbid it. He raised it up to point to him himself. Because he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, and how will they know unless a preacher is sent? Sent where? Apostolos, from him, out of the heavens. Seen him, been with him, know him. 
Three things. The light is shining out of a dark place until the day dawns. Oh, man, I love this. And the morning star rises. I said, Lord, what is that? It's like it's like a neutron star going off in your soul. Well, I was like, you know, yeah. I don't know if y'all feel like that desire inside. I do. I don't, uh, you know, you know, I don't have the words for it. <laughs> Radiation. You know, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Better felt than tell. All right, I've got started now, and I'm going to enter into my text. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I just had to lay a foundation. Um, because the, uh, I, where's it at? General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how I've memorized it back years ago. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a helpful thing to help with an acronym, but that's how I'm Bring the power, Lord. I'm serious. The Lord had given me this. That was just foundation. I, I need to lay this text in. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This won't take me a long time, but I've got to enter into this to, be, to honor the Godhead. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Uh, years ago, I had uh, one of our lead elders... Ken Rash, he said, you know, I've heard of the death of a vision, Carol. I've heard of the double death of a vision, but I've never seen the triple death of a vision until now. <laughs> but Ken left a long time ago. <laughs> it's like, I've seen the 27th death of a vision. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, how many deaths, Lord? He said, well, there's 31 kings in the human soul. <laughs> Go back to zero, kill another king. There are 31 kings. There are 31 kings in the southern and northern campaign when Joshua took the land. There's five more giants that David's going to take out to seat the government. That's a long conversation. There are 31 aspects in the human soul. There are five giants in the land. To seat a monarchy, a, a Davidic dynasty, it requires 27 letters. There are 22 primary Hebrew letters. There are five finishing letters. Our ministry just finishing up the 27th king. Just saying, got four more to go. They're the glory kings. And then there's five giants to go. We're gaming. We're going for him all the way to glorification. He said, I come to you a third time. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. Isn't it interesting that the Lord will put two or three witnesses up there at the transfiguration with him? Peter, James, and John, he's going to make sure these guys beheld this because they're going to bear witness to the transfiguration. They're going to bear witness to an open view of Christology, the radiance of the glory of God in a man, anthropology. They're going to bear witness to it because they're going to need to because God has set it up in his own law that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. And the Lord's like, if two won't do three will, I'm going to triple down on this these guys are going to bear witness to this, what I'm speaking of today, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the great mystery that Paul speaks of. He calls it a mystery. He calls marriage a mystery, and isn't it? <laughs> it's a great mystery, Jew and Gentile, 
Male and female, bond and free. It's a mystery. The Melchizedek order, the union of those two odd things, two polar opposites that seem like they'd never be able to get along, being completely unified and made as one. It's a mystery. I came to you a third time. I told you before, I will foretell you as if I am present. The second time, and being absent now, I write them, which here or have sin. I come again, I will not spare. You're seeking proof of Christology, Christos, Christ. You're speaking proof that he's actually speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives in the power of God. Listen, Paul's saying, I had to become weak in him. In him meaning I'm in him. This was the only way this was going to work for his, his apostolic ministry. He was going to have to go all the way to zero. He couldn't. The messenger has to be the message or it's not real. Let's just say it that way. He says, but it, I know this to be a fact. Listen, and uh, we can prepare to close. I know, this to be, I know this to be the truth. That if I go to zero and I'm weak in him, listen. I will live with him in the power of God towards you. Listen, what is Paul saying? He's saying the same thing Peter's saying. God has exhibited himself in this way. He has shown his anthropological humanness by going to the cross to bring forth this Christology, this Tevatron, if you want to call it that, this mapped pattern onto the human soul that he has to show forth the power of God that's flowing through a man. And he's embraced his own human weakness to bring forth the power of God. Because no flesh can glory in the presence of the Lord. Do you see? If you get a hold of this. Uh, if we can just grasp this and stop. If we can stop arguing. Stop uh, putting up objections all the time. And stop uh, uh, trying to be self-sufficient. And trying to do our own thing. And I, 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 I. The Lord is in that weakness that you're embracing the in-rock cross. You will see a resurrection. And every time he will come through. Paul has said, in my own self, I will demonstrate this in front of you. So that you yourselves will believe in the power of the cross. The power of resurrection life that is toward you. And Paul's saying, hey... I don't want to be cast off out of this. I'm going to run the race myself. Paul's running hard. He's preaching a gospel. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going all the way after this Christological pattern. I want the messianic profile installed on me. I want Tevatron. I need this. I've come to you a third time. The Holy Spirit said, remember back X to M90. You can listen to it on the podcast. Abraham and Sarah, the triune Godhead showing up there for promise. Paul, even in his uh, birthing of the Corinthian church, is saying, three times I've come to you, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Three times I'm coming to you, three times just like he does. 
to tell you about the gospel. And he says this, and this is something that the Lord wants us to do this morning. Examine yourself. Let's make an examination this morning. Examine yourself and the conduct of your life right now, today. Am I trusting in myself or someone else to rescue me? Am I trusting in what's happened to the past or what could be in my future instead of being present now with God? What am I trusting in? Am I trusting in my own ability to fix this problem? Or am I placing my complete and utter confidence in Him? But Carol, I feel weak. I don't feel like I can handle this. Am I, am I letting myself be brought to nothing so that He may be glorified in my life? Or am I still hedging? Am I still holding on to something? Maybe I could fix it. Maybe I could tell them how special I really am. Or maybe I could uh, bring out that I could finally be proven in front of someone else. I don't know what it is, but they're all enemies to the cross. Am I looking for another silver bullet that's going to bail me out of this problem that I'm in? Or am I just saying, Lord, I trust you? Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. In the faith today. The, not the faith of yesterday, your faith of tomorrow, but the faith right now. For God is a present help in time of trouble. The word's not in the past, in the future, and he is because he's eternal. But he's right now with you right now in your examination of your life. Am I placing my utter confidence in you? Know that Jesus Christ is in you or your reprobate. Know this with an intimate knowledge or you're not his. Now, those that are of the light, they come to the light so that their deeds may be reproved. They're not running from light. They're running into him. Uh, I pray that he says that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do that which is honest. He's, Paul's even going to the extent that even if you, even if I, even if you received him as a reprobate himself, that you would do what's right. He's not trying to set the standard in himself. He's setting the standard in the Lord himself. Because no man is to be your standard. No woman is to be your standard. No, we are not to worship another human being or angels or powers or anything. We are to worship one man, right? Even if I'm reprobate, He's saying, even if I preach the word as a reprobate, don't place your trust in me. Place your trust in the very word of God. Don't place your trust and put your confidence in man. Put your trust right now and transfer it up to the Lord. Don't place your trust in yourself. Can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. And we are glad. He says, I've come so weak that I've learned to be happy in it. I've learned to be glad. In, I've had a glad heart in the middle of my weakness. I tell you, that's a glorious thing when that begins to happen. 
when you really finally realize you can take everything from me? Oh, and all I feel is glad. My sadness is gone and my madness is gone. I just feel glad. Houses, lands, cars, people don't like you, do like you, who gives a flip. I found the gladness in my heart. I found the oil. I found the oil of gladness that's greater than everything I've ever known. I found him and he found me. Our wish is this. Listen to what he says. He closes. Echoing Ephesians chapter 4 is for your perfection. Paul wants this. He says, I've been in labor and travail until Christ be fully formed in you. I want this Christology. I want this Tevatron in your mortal body. I want you to have the fullness of what Jesus paid for at the cross. Let's stand together. Looking unto Jesus, the author of your life and the finisher of your faith. I look up unto you right now. I'm going through my own internal examination. Am I trusting you? Or am I leaning on something else or somebody else? There's my full confidence in you this morning, Lord. Be washed in love. As you will, come up and we'll take communion together after you receive the elements.
bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. to me. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and keep you. Amen. It is a fire and it burns. 